The scripture this week is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Good morning. My name is Albert, and if you're new here, welcome. I'd love to meet with you and chat with you a little bit. I just noticed that this mic is different, and it's just like freaking me out. It's like getting in my eye. Pray for me. Let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for these people. Thank you for your word. And I ask, Lord, that your spirit would speak to your children. As we go through these next verses here, Lord, some of it pretty in your face in terms of what you call us to and how you instruct us to grow. And so help us to receive in your loving way and a gracious way. In Jesus' name, amen. So first three verses of chapter two, and I'd like us to just focus on this phrase, actually, in these next three verses, grow up into salvation, which is found at the end of verse two. Now, I was contemplating showing a picture of me when I was in Mexico in 1976, riding on a donkey that was painted like a zebra, but I didn't because I didn't know if anyone here would not appreciate how the treatment of donkeys was. Whenever my kids go through our pictures of when we were growing up, they like seeing me in my 80s garb. I actually like seeing that too. And they like looking at me in my 90s phase also as a teenager. And I think generally people like looking at one another's pictures of how they grew up, which I think is why it's popular at wedding receptions to kind of see that, you know, slideshow or whatever it is of when you're birthed, and then you're all this stuff, and then they end up together, and they always have the Yosemite shot that they hiked up there, or whatever, and all these kind of stuff, and then they're there, and then they're married. People like that. And so when we look at the growing up of people from a baby to, you know, this wedding day, we, we typically look at how they grew up physically, and you can kind of see it, right? And, and even as a baby, you kind of see the morphing and, and how they grow up physically. But really, that's just kind of a part of how someone has grown up. Because if you truly know the bride and the groom, if you really know them really well, say you're a cousin that grew up with them your whole life, or, or you're just lifelong friends and you notice these things, you do notice how they physically matured, but you also notice how they've matured, or not matured, emotionally, intellectually, and most importantly, spiritually. Paul addressed Timothy and Titus as my true child in the faith. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he wrote, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. And then Paul goes on to write in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and you firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now John writes similarly to his children, to his kind of disciples, to the people that he was mentoring, to the people that he was investing his life into, and he didn't write about how joyful he was to know someone grew up physically. It's like, oh, you grew up to be a strapping man. You can pull things. 
I don't know. He wrote in 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And that's what he's joyous about. That's what he's praising about. And so Timothy grew up in his faith and his spiritual knowledge and into salvation as God used Paul to invest into Timothy. John wrote to those he invested into spiritually how joyful he was to hear that they were walking in the truth, growing up into their salvation. And here in our verses today, Peter has the same hope, the same desire for those he has poured his life into to grow up spiritually, to grow up into salvation. Now, how does this growth even begin? And so for this, we kind of have to go backwards today. We're going to go to verse 3 first and then to verse 1 and 2. And I know we typically go verse by verse in a chronological fashion, but this morning we're going to look at the third verse first. So jump to verse 3. And this will tell us how growing up into salvation begins. If indeed you have tasted, the Lord is good. So you notice the condition in verse 3. If indeed. If indeed. And you have to say that with a British accent. If indeed. Because that's how it makes it awesome. But you notice that this is conditional. If indeed. You have to actually taste. You have to actually experience that the Lord is good. And this sense of taste is nothing new in the Bible. In, in Psalm chapter 34, verse 8, the psalmist wrote, O taste and see that the Lord is good. So when we take communion, as we do every week, we symbolically taste and see that the Lord is good. We symbolically experience His goodness, His sovereignty, His love, His lordship, His salvation. And it gives us this great opportunity to reflect upon how we are or have been obedient to His commands. When Peter wrote, tasted that the Lord is good, you notice it's in the past tense, tasted. What was Peter referring to when he said tasted? What was tasted that the Lord is good? And so we go to verse 3 of chapter 1. And it says that we've experienced, tasted, being born again. That we've been spiritually born again. Now what else was Peter referring to in regards to tasting that the Lord is good? Back to 1 Peter again, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. To have salvation for your soul that we've been saved. Things that we've tasted. How else have we tasted that the Lord is good? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We've experienced that we've been ransomed. We've been redeemed by Jesus. We've tasted that the Lord is good through our redemption. Last one. How have we tasted that the Lord is good? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. We are believers in God. When we did this study, we actually talked about how this is an active belief, that we believe into God. Now, I'm not going to review all that again, but you can go into iTunes to listen to that. Now, look at verse 3 again of chapter 2. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, you, 
you have tasted. So it's individual, it's personal, it's a direct taste. You have to taste it for yourself. You can't go by what someone else experienced or what someone else tells you about it. You have to taste that the Lord is good personally for yourself. It's not something you inherit. It's not something that's passed on by blood. Your taste has to be directly experienced by you and no one else can do that for you. Now religious sacraments like baptism, they don't do that for you. Nor does any religious action performed on you by the church or clergy in the church. No one can give you redemption, salvation, or new birth other than God. And you have to taste it for yourself. Now even though this taste is individual, personal, and directly experienced by you, it's not something that's done in private, and it's not something done in secret. This is something that is done in community. What you've tasted is also tasted by others. It's an experience that bonds all of us together. We experience it individually, yes, but we also experience it as a community, together, a community that confesses sin to one another, that prays for one another, does all these things together. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so you see how it is individually and personally experienced, but it isn't done in secrecy or in privacy. Confession is done in community. And so is the preaching of the good news. It's something that is not kept to oneself. It's something that you need to share. Evangelism is part of the Christian life. Now within evangelism, within this good news, there is an acknowledgement of sin within oneself. The acknowledgement that you are a sinner and the recognition for the need of a savior once you acknowledge that you are a sinner. And upon hearing what was preached, Repentance follows. And in order to have a relationship with a holy God, holy meaning apart, right? We've talked about this as well. God is apart from sin. And what he has done through his divine plan is he has had his son Jesus bridge that gap of apartness, of separation, so that we can have a relationship with God. And we exercise our faith in believing that Jesus did that for us. And from that step of faith, we receive the Holy Spirit. And from that point, we've tasted that the Lord is good. All experienced within the context of community. Now, of course, we have private moments with God. Jesus spent a lot of time alone praying. And there are secret moments with God, like when you're giving to the needy and you don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing or your left hand know what your right hand is doing. But the spiritual life is to be lived out in community. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. Tasting that the Lord is good is to be shared. It's a shared experience. Why? Because it gives life. It saves lives. Now back in uh, John chapter 4, there's a story of a woman at the well. Let me read this story for you so that you can see how she tasted that the Lord was good and that it saved her life. John chapter 4, starting in verse 5. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Tasting that the Lord is good will save your life. You will taste eternal life. Jesus in John chapter 4 spoke of tasting water. Now let's go a couple of chapters to John chapter 6 where Jesus spoke of tasting bread. John chapter 6, starting in verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered him, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Tasting the Lord is good will save your life. He is the spring of water welling up to eternal life. He is the bread of life. Taste that the Lord is good and you'll be awakened to this eternal life, that he saved your life for eternity and you'll be awakened in how he transforms your life, how he changes your life, how he alters your life. You will never be the same once again. You will know what life really is. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now some people think that once they come into a relationship with Jesus, that their life is over. No more fun. No more enjoyment. I got to give that up. I got to give this up. I can't do that anymore. I have to start doing this. And I just have to let you know that you're wrong. Jesus came so that we may have life and have it abundantly. Now, you may be thinking that your life is not fun as a Christian because you have to stop doing certain sins like fornicating or being a drunkard or other things that you like to do. And that life becomes dull because you can't do those things anymore and because your life isn't being transformed by God. And so you're living kind of the same way. But this is the thing. If you find yourself in this predicament, you are still in your old self. Thinking like your old self. Being your old self. This is why. Because it's just a religion for you. 
based on your ability to bring about spiritual change within yourself, that you're doing all this behavior modification and it's not working and your life is boring and dull because you're living like your old self, being like your old self, expecting something new when you're still your old self. So then it just turns into doing a bunch of do's and don't do's and it's just a religion. And who in the world wants that? Who wants a list of do's and don't do's? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Truly tasting that the Lord is good. Truly tasting will save your life. It will change your life. It will transform your life. You will be altered. Now, what are the things that prevent us from growing up into salvation? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Finally, we're here. Okay, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Now, you notice the phrase, put away. This is an assertive action, right? This is an action-oriented phrase. It's not something that's going to happen on its own if you just kind of sit back and let it go away. You don't put something away by sitting there. You act upon it. And if we have tasted that the Lord is good, there's an active part that we play in our spiritual growth, our growing up into salvation. And if this active part is absent in your lives then an argument can be made that you have indeed not tasted that the Lord is good. Because we know that tasting that the Lord is good. It saves our lives. It transforms our lives. And it's not to say that we become perfect. We don't. We're a work in progress. But the thing is, is are we progressing? Are we growing up into salvation? If you have tasted that the Lord was good, you were rescued, you were saved from your sin by Jesus, and you were transformed, you were changed. That's not to say that your sin nature is gone. It's still in you. And you still have those temptations that come your way. But you have put away your old self with the power of the Holy Spirit, and you actively put off the five things listed here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, which prevent growing into salvation. So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. Put away all malice. What is malice? Malice is the desire to do evil. The desire to injure. It's what all of you struggle with when you drive, okay? Right? You all are malicious. I know it. 
It's possessing ill will, right? It's possessing wickedness that is not ashamed about their disobedience, about their rebellion. And if you want to inhibit growing up into salvation, be malicious. That'll do it. Number two, put away all deceit. What is this? This is being crafty, right? Just deliberately misleading. You're cunning. You're sly. You're duplicitous. You're just kind of sneaky and you're dishonest untrustworthy, you're devious, cheating. And folks who manipulate things and situations so that they can get the upper hand, but they do it in an underhanded way. We've done this. If you're a student, there's ways that you've done this. Or if you're climbing the corporate ladder and someone else is in your way, you've probably done this. You know, we have these things within us that were deceitful. How you kind of spin stories to your spouse. Oh, I wasn't really looking on that page. I just kind of browsed through it. It just popped up. I don't know how it got there. You want to paralyze growing up into salvation, the maturing of your faith. Practice deceit. Peter continues on, put away hypocrisy. Right? Being false. Being two-faced. Saying one thing, but you're doing something else and you're presenting yourself to be someone who you really aren't. And hypocrisy will hinder your growth into growing into salvation. And I'm not telling you guys all these things because I've overcome all three because actually three out of the three I'm guilty of. But I'm progressing. It's not habitual. I try to catch it and I try to work on it. Right? It's not perfection. Fourth one, put away envy. And probably out of all the five, this one might be on the top for me. The definition of envy, according to Vine's expository dictionary of the New Testament, is this. The feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage of prosperity of others. The difference between jealousy and envy is that jealousy desires to have the same or the same sort of thing, right? It's covetousness. But envy desires to deprive another of what he has. Envy takes jealousy to another level. Envy will obstruct one's growing up into your salvation. Five, put away all slander. Now, slander is defamation. It is evil speaking. It's backbiting. It's what becomes of our speech when we have a malicious, an envious, a deceitful, a hypocritical heart. See, slander doesn't just happen. You don't just start slandering. There's something that has happened in your heart that kind of bubbles out slander. That your heart already is envious or your heart is already deceitful, hypocritical. That it is already malicious. And from that, your mouth speaks. Now James chapter 1 verse 26, he wrote this. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. See, there's so much in the Bible in regards to speech. We can do a long series about just the speech in the Bible. We're not doing that. We're doing First Peter. But just to look at really quickly our speech, look to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion 
that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The things that we say are indicative of the condition of our heart. So if slander is coming out of your mouth, if it is present in your life, it is a huge symptom that you have a diseased heart. And it's time to diagnose whether that disease is malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and or envy. And these five sins mentioned in 1 Peter chapter 2, these are the sins that restrict growing up into salvation. So we've looked at what impedes our spiritual growth. Now let's look at what helps our spiritual growth, what helps it thrive. Verse 2, Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Listen to this phrase. Like newborn infants. Like newborn infants. Newborn infants just look like old men. I've had my fair share of experience taking care of babies, being that I have four daughters. And my youngest one, one year old now, was a newborn infant not too long ago. And by the time my fourth baby came along, you'd think I'd be a pro with taking care of babies. With babies, yes, I am. I'm a pro. Not with newborn infants, though. They're different. They're very different. Newborn infants, they need to be fed a lot and often, all the time. See, my one-year-old does not long for milk like she once used to, right? She doesn't need to be nursed as often and as regularly as she once had to when she was a newborn infant. And so now my wife can leave. And I can take care of her for hours upon hours. I can even take her for an entire day. Not a big problem. I got it. I can take care of it. I can do one. I can do one. But when she was a newborn infant, no way, man. My wife was like, I'm going to Trader Joe's. Ah! Ah! Did you feed her? Not yet. Oh, you can't go until you feed her. You got to feed her first. And then after she was fed, okay, I'm going, oh, oh. Half hour. Don't even go 31. Half hour, you're back. Otherwise, I'm never taking the baby again. You've got to take her with you. Right? Half hour, you are back. And so whenever she had to go to Trader Joe's or run an errand or do whatever she had to do, that's what I made sure of. You feed her right before you leave, and you're back in a half hour. That's it. Why? Because I lack the anatomy. I don't have it. I don't have what the baby longs for. And as a newborn infant, there's not much you can do to appease them when they long for pure milk. You can't do anything. Right? Pacifier? No. Diaper change? No. Rocking? No. Carrying them? Singing? Looking like a fool? Doing whatever? Nothing. Nothing works. And then when they go crazy because it's gone too long, they've been longing for pure milk for too long, it's over, man. It's over. Right? They're there, they're rooting. They're so small. They're like a little larva. But you kind of wonder, how in the world can you be so loud? Like, you're only this big. 
your mother's only this. How can you be that loud? I think when they're born, they're part chameleon because they can change colors like this. Red, blue, all the shades in between, gray, they can do all of that. And they can not breathe for a half hour. They go, ah, 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 ah. And you're like, breathe, please, breathe. They go, ah. I'm just like, oh my gosh, come back now, woman. See, there's not much you can do when a newborn infant is longing for pure milk. You can't distract the baby. There is nothing you can do, and there's a reason for that. They need it. They need it. They need that pure milk to grow. They need that pure milk to thrive. There is nothing more nutritious to a newborn infant than when the baby is nursed. Nothing. Science can't conjure up anything better. There's nothing. It is the perfect temperature. It's the perfect nutrients. It is the perfect food. Science can't even duplicate this. And it's all part of what happens with a newborn after birth. After they are born, it is natural for a newborn infant to nurse. It's the first thing that happens in the hospital. Baby's birth, boop, right there on the anatomy. You don't have to teach the baby anything. They just go. They just do it. You don't have to tell them how to do it. You don't have to say, open your mouth. You don't have to do anything. You just have to put the baby there, and it goes. They long for pure milk. The same thing is for us spiritually at our rebirth, when we are born again. If you have truly been born again, you long for pure spiritual milk. You long for that. You're hungry for it. And if you don't long for pure spiritual milk, the pure spiritual milk of God's word, like a newborn infant longs for pure milk from their mother, then it calls into question whether you've really been born again. Were you really born again? Because the natural progression is that you want that milk. You long for that milk. Do you long for God's word where nothing else can satisfy you? Nothing else can distract you. You're searching for it. You're longing for it. There's nothing else that can be done for you other than having that satiated by having it. When you have a baby, there are these frequent wellness checkups for the newborn. You have to go in pretty often in the beginning. After a year, you don't go for a while. You can go a year. But in the very beginning, depending on your insurance plan, you go like every week. You go every week to go check up on what's happening with baby. And you know what happens when you bring your baby in? They check for some things. If you've never had a baby, you don't even think about. This is what they do. It's really simple. Anyone can do it. They check your baby's weight. That is the thing they always do. They check your baby's length. They check their baby's weight. They check their baby's head circumference. My kids have humongous heads, by the way. And it is critical for them to chart the growth of a newborn. Why? Because they're looking for whether the baby is thriving. They're looking for whether the baby is growing. Because if they're not, there's this term, failure to thrive, right? FTT, all medical professionals know this term, that if the baby is not growing in those beginning stages, they have to intervene. 
they have to step in and figure out why. Why is the baby not growing? Is there something wrong with it? Because that is what is indicative of a healthy, growing baby. It is normal for a newborn infant to long for pure milk, just as it is for a newborn, rebirth, born-again believer in Jesus to long for pure, spiritual milk. And if that doesn't happen, then something is abnormal. There's something spiritually unhealthy happening in that person. So, if you profess to be a born-again Christian and you do not long for the Word of God, whether it's in this setting like this, on a Sunday church setting, or in a small group, or your individual studies, something is wrong with you spiritually. Something's wrong. You are failing to thrive. You're not growing so just like any baby, you bring them to the hospital and there's a diagnosis, something's wrong. Because they don't eat once a week on a Sunday. Do you know how often babies eat? Newborn infants. Mine ate like 20, 30 times a day. Medical professionals say that they need to at least do a dozen. Right? They need to nurse at least a dozen times a day. Mine were 20, 30, which I guess explains why my baby's like 95th percentile. Sumo. But anyway, dozen times a day. It is all the time. They eat all the time. They long for it. They can't go long without it. So this is preaching to the choir about you being here on Sunday, but I know that there are others that don't believe in going to church and they say, oh, we do everything in a small group. And they don't fellowship with the larger body at the church. But the thing is, is if you are doing the small group, is that also just once a week? And so if you do both, you do the small group and you do the church, then you just eat twice a week? Because what's happening the other five days a week? You don't have to tell a newborn infant to want pure milk. You only have to force feed those nutrients when something is wrong. So how are you doing in longing for pure spiritual milk? And so the thing is, if I have to convince you that you need it, if I have to do that, you're not growing up into salvation. And I'm not doing this to come down on you or condemn you or judge you. I'm just like a physician just telling you as it is. I'm just giving you the lab results. You're not growing. You're fooling yourself if you think you are growing without these continual nutrients from the Word of God. You're fooling yourself. You're going to church on Sunday. You're attending your small group once a week. Those are great things. Those are really, really good things. But what about the rest of the week? Are you not eating? So you come to church and you go to small groups for this pure spiritual milk. And that's just normal. That's a normal thing. I mean, it's not like, oh, yeah, pat myself on the back. I go to church and I go to a small group. Oh, good. That's just normal. You just eat. But what's happening to your longing for pure spiritual milk the rest of the week? Now notice that it is pure spiritual milk we are to long for, for growing up into salvation. So we don't need to add anything to the Word of God. We don't need to go the other way too and water it down. Right? When a baby is nursing, an infant baby is nursing, the mom doesn't add water to it. It doesn't add stuff to it. It's good the way that it is. We don't need to add anything to the Word of God. We don't need to water it down. It's perfect how it is. And you can't claim to be a follower of Jesus if you don't follow His Word. You can't claim to love Jesus if you don't love His Word. 
I'm not talking about perfection. We all fall. We all have temptations. None of us is perfect. We still have that sin nature in us. But do you use that as an excuse not to follow God? See, it's not an excuse for us to sin, to continually sin. So we've seen this morning what prevents us from growing into salvation. And we've also seen what supports growing up into salvation. Verses 1 and 2. When you leave here, you need to leave with this question. Where are you in all of that? Where are you in this growth cycle or in this deterioration cycle? Where are you with those things? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I ask God that your gracious words, they're not words of condemnation. They're not words of judgment. They are words of rebuke, and we can receive them in such ways that they are difficult. But just like a difficult diagnosis from a physician when one is unhealthy, we need the truth in order for us to become healthy. And so, Lord, for those of us who have been convicted by your Spirit because we do possess one or some of those or maybe even all of those five things that cause restriction from growing into salvation, I pray that we would continue to work on those things, laying them at your feet, Holy Spirit, as you minister to us. I pray, Lord, for that longing as newborn infants long for pure milk, that we would long for pure spiritual milk in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.